This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, in Parshas Vayechi 5783, Perek Gimel Pasig Yud, everybody. Perek, I just said Perek Gimel. Perek Nun Pasig Yud. It says, Vayvoad Goronatod. They came to this Goren Ha'atod. I'm not going to translate yet, but it literally means a granary of thorns. The granary of thorns. Asher on the other side of the Jordan River. Yispidu Sham Mispid Gadav Kavim Od. They gave him there a hespid that was very great and very heavy. V'yasal Aviv Evil Shivas Yaman. And they mourned his father. In other words, the, they all together. They all mourned the father of Yosef Etzadik and all the Shvatim for seven days. Which is weird, because we all know that Avelos comes after you bury the dead. He certainly was not buried at Goren Ha'atod. Nonetheless, that's what happened. It says, in so the people that were living in the land, the Kanani, they saw this Avelis going on in Goranatod, Bayomru. And they said, Avel covered Zemelotzarim. This is a horrible, this is a very heavy morning for Egypt. Alkain Karshmo Avel Mitzrayim Shabbat Yarden. And therefore, they renamed Goranatod, and they called it Avel Mitzrayim, the morning of Mitzrayim, until this day. Now, there's a lot of things that we're going to just start off with. with I don't know where Goran Hatad is. This is going to be a little bit of a problem. It says Asher Be'ever Hayardan, the side of the Jordan River. Which side? Israel's side or the Kanani side? Either way, many of you have been to Maras Machpelah before, which obviously is where they were bringing Yaakov. If you haven't been to Maras Machpelah, let me show you. Like, if Israel's right here, right? And I'll go your way, right? So the Mediterranean Sea is right here, right? You have like the Dead Sea right there, the Jordan River up the Kinneret, etc. Right? You're going to have Yerushalayim like right there. And Maris Machpelah is going to be around there, you know, like right around there, not so far, whatever it is. There is no reason to go to the Jordan River to get to Maris Machpelah. There's no reason to be there. So if Gornatod is on either side of the Jordan River, which is, sounds like from the Pusik, something's wrong. There's no reason for them to have gone that far. So where exactly is this place? And the fact that it's like, Avul Mitzrayim, you guys know Avul Mitzrayim, I mean, you've seen that like hundreds of times already. Like, how is it possible you don't know what Avul Mitzrayim is? It's a strange thing to say, like that's the name of the city and that's what it was up until the end of the day. Plus, the Avelis part is also really, really weird. What in the world is going on here and why in the world is it so unclear about what the status is? Okay, so here's what we got over here. The first thing is like this. Who makes a granary for thorn bushes? Who in the world keeps thorn bushes and makes a granary out of it and says, oh, I've got all these thorn bushes bushes. Wow, this is a great this is a great granary, everybody. Some people save grain. I save thorn bushes. Like who does that? So Raji answers, it wasn't. It was a storage house for regular grain which was surrounded by thorns. Now, why was it surrounded by thorns? Mistama, you'd assume it's because they didn't want to keep people they wanted to keep people out. So it sort of had like a thorn bush fence all the way around so that people would stay out from it, and that's the idea behind it. But the Medrash says because it's such a weird thing, a weird word Wording. Not Goren Sovev Atadim, but rather a Goren Ho'atad, there must be something else that happened over here. The kings of Canaan, says Rashi, and the princes of Yishmoel came to wage war. There's a question who exactly was Nachlas Yaakov and the Berbasa to talk about that, but we're not going to talk about that right now. Thinking the Egyptians were bringing a large group of people to battle the Canaanim, especially during a time of, of, it might not have been famine at the time, but something might have been going on at the time where it could be that they decided they were going to wage war against the Canaanim and everything. So they took a large bunch of people with them. When they saw the crown of Yosef, 
hanging over the coffin of Yaakov Avinu, whatever Yaakov Avinu was in, buried in, a sarcophagus or whatever it is, when they saw the crown on top of it, they understood that it really was a funeral, a huge funeral, and they put their own crowns on top of the coffin of Yosef Atzadik, surrounding it with crowns like a granary that is surrounded by thorns to keep everybody out from the grain. They made crowns all around to show we're not fighting today. No one's going to fight today out of honor of the dead. We're not going to fight. That's how Rashi puts it. That's what happened over here. And that's the reference of Goranatod. Targum Yonasan mentions nothing about the crowns. Nothing about the crowns going on top of the, the Aron itself. But the people threw away their weapons he says, of Yaakov once they saw what happened in honor of Yaakov so to speak, throwing up their arms to the sky and crying over the loss of such a great man. That's what Targum Yonason says, that they all got up and they all mourned that he was dead. The Chidah brings a Medrash Rabbah. The Rishmur Barachmeni went through all of Tanakh and couldn't find a single other place called Atud. And that's why Rashi brings up this drush over here, because there's no other place. Now the question is, why would he have to go through Tanakh if it's right here, this is Goren HaAtad. You need another place that's called Goren HaAtad? Says the Chidah, he says, since the Pusik says, Goren HaAtad Asher Be'ever Yardain, which obviously is a strange thing to say, the one that's right by the Jordan River, it sounds like there's another Atad. There's another Goren HaAtad. Where is this other place? Reb Shmuel looked for it and couldn't find it anywhere and therefore said it must be there's a Drusha here and it must be this is the Drusha, that it's all about the crowns and being surrounded, etc., and that all the people mourned Yaakov Avinu and that's the idea behind it. Everything is based on that and that's where it all comes from. Fine. Period. We have Rashi. We have Targum Yonasan. We have the Chidah. That's the first part right here. Now the Rokeach says it a little bit differently. It says this was an area that the Shvatim stayed in when they were on their way down to Mitzrayim. Maybe it was on their way the first time. Maybe it was on their way the second time. Maybe it was on their way the third time when they were bringing their families in Yaakov, you know, they were moving down there forever, right? Maybe it was at that, that, that time. We don't know. But they had stayed there at one point 17 years ago, maybe 18 years ago, depending on when they came, but 17 years ago, that's that. The area that they remembered as an inn, you know, as a hotel, was now filled with thorns and briars, says the Rokeach. They were looking at it and it looked overrun with weeds, overrun, as if nobody had been there for 17 years. That stopped. They stopped in their tracks. It reminded them how long it had been since they'd last been to Eretz Yisrael. 17 years since they'd last been to Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov and all the Shvatim itself. And that caused them to mourn. They may have used it to, as an excuse to mourn Yaakov, you know, but says the Rukeach, they weren't mourning Yaakov you know, per se here. The Avelus that they did, the Avelus, even though it says Vayasla Aviv, they used it as an excuse it was really over the fact that they hadn't been back for 17 years, that their father had to die in Mitzrayim, that their father didn't see Eretz Yisrael again while he was alive, that he was only going to be buried there. All of that was there. That's how the Rukeach puts it. The Chidah suggests that Yaakov commanded them to go there. Not only did they go to the first time, but he told them, stop in Goranatod. Why? Because this place does have another name, and it's called Shittim. If you remember Shittim, that is the area where the people sinned in later on. They were, that was the place where Shevet Shimon, right, was swayed by the women to worship their idol Baal Peor. And they drank from the Kool-Aid that they were selling them, right? The people literally and figuratively, right, inside the Shuk, the marketplace they were around. This area of Shittim would be a terrible place for the Shvatim in the future. And therefore, Yaakovino had them stop there and daven there. The Avelus, so to speak, would be almost like a davening to be machaper for what was going to happen many years later. That's how the Chidah puts it. Yeah. 
Louder, Shlomo. I can't hear you. Right, right. That's one. Number two. Right, 100%. We're, both of those questions are going to be good. We have to figure out what it means, Avra Yardin. So give me a second on that. On that, we have Ravari Kap on the Living Torah. Okay, again, remember this. This is a, you know, the conservative Chumash that looks amazing, but Ravari Kaplan is the absolute best of everything. He calls this area probably the best name in English that I could ever name anything in my life, Bramble Barn. Bramble Barn is Gornatud. If you can think of a better name, I want to hear it. Bramble Barn might be the name of this year. I think, I think I may call it Bramble Barn. It's my favorite word of all time right now. They said, he says they made a great imposing funeral there. He says Atud likely refers to the box thorn. Only, only Rivaria Kaplan would say Lysium Europeum. <laughs> That's the scientific name, which is known to grow on the banks of the Jordan River, which Shlomo gets to what you were saying before. It's on the banks of the Jordan River. It is black edible seeds. Others tra- translate it as ramis or spurge. I had little pictures for you, but I decided not to put them in. Right? So it says, if they went to the banks of the Jordan River, they went very much out of the way, says Ravari Kaplan. They obviously went out of the way completely, unless they took the king's highway. Now, we think of it today, and we're just like, what do you mean? Why wouldn't you just go in a straight path? If you see Egypt here and Israel there, just go like that, and then you're perfectly fine. You forget you couldn't just walk through deserts back in the day. You didn't have little areas, and you couldn't just fly through. You can't bring a hundred people, two hundred people, maybe even a thousand people through a desert. They would go through the King's Highway. It might be out of the way, but it'd be easier to go around and then that way to get to Mars Machpelah rather than go this way and have to go through the Plishtim and the desert areas. It makes a ton of sense. So if they went through the King's Highway, which is mentioned in Parshish Chukas, says Ravari Kaplan, then it makes a lot of sense that they went to the Transjordan River area, which is the area of Shittim outside of Eretz Yisrael, which was before Shittim, known as Gorin Hatad, and they went into Eretz Canaan fording the Jordan River, going over the Jordan River, and that's why it makes sense that it's called Avera Yarding. Okay? That's the idea that Ravari Kaplan brings down, and it makes a ton of sense when you think about it, that they didn't go like that, they went like that, because again, you have a thousand people with you. You can't go through the wilderness, you have to go through a normal area, the normal roads, and there weren't roads. There weren't roads there. That makes the most sense to me. There was Derek Hart's Plishtim, but that also was a little bit off. That's the idea behind it. Then it's Siv, says Yosef did this on purpose. He did it on purpose. He wanted to go through other lands and gain people for the funeral. They do this, where sometimes if somebody passes away in a certain city and they had sheikhs to another city and another city, then they'll stop in this city and they'll stop in that city and then finally go to the final resting place to gather people together and make hespedim in every area. It could be that Yosef Atzadik knew the importance of Yaakovinu to all the lands. He had lived in Eretzisol for many, many, many years. It's possible that all of them would want to mourn, so he went to all of those cities, like Be'er Sheva maybe, maybe he went to some other place like Hebron, maybe he went to all those cities, gathered the people together, gave them a hesped, gave them a eulogy, and then afterward brought them there. That's how the Nati puts it. I was Naim Latorah, says it could be that this is all Maisa Avosim Labanim. Maisa Avosim Labanim means sometimes the parents, the Avos will do something so that it'll be easier for their children to conquer in the future. If they walk this way, then in the future, the Bnei Yisrael will walk that way and it'll be easier for them in the future. Spiritually, they'll be able to get there easier. So it could be they purposely went through that really weird road in order to make sure it would be easier for them to conquer when they did it in the future itself. That's how the Oznayim Latorah says it. So, fine. 
All that's great. If this is the answer of Bramble Barn and we got it, fine. Good. These are all great answers. But why would they mourn him now before he was buried? We gave a couple answers. Maybe it was Eretz Yisrael. But it's weird. It says, Vayas Evel They were clearly mourning his father. Why in the world were they mourning before he was buried? So I found eight answers to this question. Some of them are going to be halachic. Some of them are more like agatic. But regardless, there are eight answers that I found altogether. Number one, the Ibn Ezra says this took place after they buried him. It says, and so do you give him After they buried him, then they sat in Avelos. I know it says they sat in Avelos now, but the Pusik means that they eventually made an Abel. Maybe Goranatot is on their way back. Maybe it was on their way back. It was after they had finished in Maris Machpelah. And then afterward, they came back and they went to Gornatot and they did it. That's how the Ibn Ezra puts it. That's answer number one. That's an easy answer. It's just out of order. The Rabbeinu Abbechaya says this Avelis was before the burial, arguing the Ibn Ezra, even though after the Torah was given, we do Avelis after the burial. That's that. After the goal is closed. Before the Torah was given, they sat Shiva before the person was buried. Isn't that interesting? We, we have Avelus for a person. We think of Avelus as you do Avelus, you bury the dead, and then you go and you sit Shiva, and that's the seven days, and you have Avelus, etc. They, before Mount Torah, would sit Shiva and then bury the dead. To be honest with you, without refrigeration, I don't think that's a very smart idea. Eretz Yisrael is a very warm land. Perhaps they had a way of preserving the dead. That was a little bit different. Yaakov Inu was preserved, right? He was embalmed, right? He had something. So it's clear that something would have happened. But for I just for Rabbeinu Bechayi to say that before Matan Torah, they did Avelis before the burial, that's weird. That would be strange. I will tell you, there's a story that uh, Senator, State Senator Silverstein, when he was, you know, when he was the state senator, so one time my next door neighbor, when I was living in West Rogers Park, he passed away. He was an Indian man, and uh, the, he was, I guess, involved in the state senate and whatever it was. So the senator came by. He told me that he went to the person's house to go, you know, visit the you know, the, the, those sitting in Shiva, whatever they were, whatever the Indians do, whatever it was, right? And he was that. So he went up to the door, knocked on the door, right? And they let him in, and he smelled something. And he couldn't believe what, they, like, it smelled horrific. But he didn't know what it was. He walks inside. The dead is on the couch. Like, they don't bury for five or six days after the person. They won't bury until he starts to rot. Like, that was their custom. So he was sitting in the house. He's a Kohen. So he was like, I have to leave right now. He runs out of the house, right? And then he says, I'm so sorry. I'm a priest. I'm not allowed to be in this house with somebody who passed away. But he had no idea, absolutely no idea. So that's what happens. Apparently, that's the custom there where they sit Shiva with the dead and then afterward bury him, which again... Not a good idea. It's not a great idea. This is not health-wise. I don't think that's great. But that's what he said. They did. He was my own next-door neighbor. He's like, so if somebody passes away, don't visit. I'm like, no problem. It's not going to happen. And then I moved away. Yeah. Shalom. What do you mean? Too much non-Jews. There's a kasha whether or not all applies. Rav Shimon of the Chachamim, right? Right, but if it's a vadai, <laughs> the guy's definitely right there. If there's for sure too much, everybody agrees with that. It's only a question of if it's a suffix, if it's there or not, like airplanes going over non-Jewish cemeteries, etc. But we don't allow Kohanim to walk through non-Jewish cemeteries and walk over the graves, right? It's still, if it's a vadai, we hold too much, like Rav Shimon. Yeah. Was it common back in those days to have, like, Ice rooms? They probably had a really hard excavation to, you know, to Antarctica to get that ice. No, 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 no. Now, I, I don't know how they would have gotten ice. 
Maybe, maybe if somebody would have been able to save something, but I, I don't know. Yeah, Kishuf room could have been. Yeah, maybe that Kishuf, right? But then, you know, then you, if the only time you bury them is when they rot a little bit, I don't know what they did. <laughs> yeah, I guess he never rot. Could have preserved. Yeah, and again, Yaakovinu had that preservation, right? He did do something. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Now, you should know, by the way, it's not just the Rabbin Bachai says this. Tosos brings this down in Moid Kat and Chafam and Aleph. He says that's why the Gemara does not learn the halachas of Shiva, of sitting Shiva and Avelus from here. We don't learn it from here. We learn it from Vafachti Chagechem Ba'avel. Your Chag turns into an Avel. And in Chag is seven days. So Avelus is seven days in Amos Parakas. But not from here. Why not from here? There's a Pusik in the Torah that's from Amos. Why are you learning from Amos? And it's obvious because this Avelus is not the regular Avelus. That's what Tosa says and it makes a ton of sense. That's answer number two. Answer number three. Chizkuni says the kings of Asa, the princes of Yishmael, and the leaders of the Benek Torah all came to pay the respects of the great man. Therefore they, mar- they mourned him anew here. Because we know this is Dalacha. B'nai Keturah and Esav and Yishma are all related to Yaakov. Granted, they don't want to be, but they're related to Yaakov. What the halacha is, that if a person comes in and wants to sit in mourning and they come brand new to the Shiva house or whatever it is, and they didn't know about it, they just found out about it, etc., then you start again. There's something else that they do. They sit Shiva from that point on. So they did a seven-day mourning period for the relatives that came from all around that just heard about the Avelos. That's the idea. And that's how the Chizkuni says over here. So they did it in Egypt before. They did it over here, all because of what was going to happen. And then the real Avelos was going to be after they buried him. That's what they say. It's an interesting concept, but that's how the Chizkuni puts it. The Torah says that it may be that these nations thought that Yosef Atzadik was coming with the army. As we said before, that Rashi, right, and Targum Yonason sort of, where they thought he was coming to fight. When Yosef told them, no, I'm not fighting, I'm just burying my father who passed away, we're burying him Ma'aris Machpelah, which is our burial plot, etc. Then the people said, we don't believe you. Stay here and don't leave. So the Shvatim were allowed to bring Yaakov Avinu Domaras Machpela. But Yosef wasn't there. Yosef had to stay in Gorin HaTad along with all the Egyptians. And what happens, guys, when you no longer are able to bury the dead? You can't go with. You start your Shiva immediately. Yosef's Avelus started immediately and they went on and buried him. The riot of this tour is a classic thing. Says the Moshev Zakanim, the word Banov, that his sons buried him, only appears after this Pasuk. After this Pasuk, it says his sons, his sons, his sons. Because no one else was there, the Mitzrayim couldn't go in. The Mitzrayim weren't there. It also makes a lot of sense. Esav came and started complaining. We all know the Medrash, right? That Esav said, I'm supposed to be buried here. And Hushim ben Dun said, what's going on? Naphtali was sent back to Mitzrayim to go get the Shar. Where was the Egyptian army? They brought up the entire Egyptian army with them. Who in the world? Well, like, why is Asa fighting against the entire Egyptian army? Yosef brought up everybody with him. The answer is, Yosef wasn't there. Asa, the, the whole Mitzrayim wasn't there. It was just the 11 Shvatim that were there. Maybe Ephraim and Menashe, I don't know. right? But the 11 Shvatim that were there, that were burying Yaakov, you know, and that's why Esav came and said, you can't do it, and they had to fight, and Hushim ben Don got up, right? and he's the one who knocked off Esav's head, etc. It's brilliant. It's mamish brilliant. But that's the idea. That's our fourth answer altogether. Moshe, uh, the Paneach Raza says it could be 
that Yosef appeased them and said, please let us go. And it might have taken seven days to do so. And because they couldn't move for seven days, even though he wasn't buried yet, but they couldn't bury him, they had to sit Shiva right then. Because the Avela starts when they can't bury him. They couldn't bury him. There was a reason why they couldn't bury him, and that's that. That is a halacha, by the way, that if for whatever reason you cannot bury the dead, for example, if the government won't allow you to bury somebody for whatever reason, there is a huge Shiloh what you do about sitting Shiva, about when do you sit a velus, etc. One of the opinions, and it could be more than one, it seems like we pass in this way, is that you sit as soon as you can't do anything. You can't do anything. There's another opinion that says, no, you still count, you don't count, you're still an owning, you're not an avel, because at any point the government could get in and give in and allow you to bury them. But according to another opinion, no, you sit shiva because that is your avelus. You can't bury the dead. They took away the dead. What can you do? And that might have happened over here. That's how the Panayak Raza says it right over there. The Raza Namir wonders if it was a real onis or not. He was the king. Could he, he could have fought them. Okay. Regardless, that's another answer. That's the fifth answer we have. The Meshech Chachma gives a sixth answer. He says, it wasn't only the Egyptians who were turned back and weren't allowed to go any further. Therefore, they mourned Yaakov at that point. That, that's, I've said it wrong. It was only the Egyptians that weren't allowed to go any further. Yosef went, the Shvatim went, but the Egyptians didn't. The Egyptians sat Shiva. They were doing a Velus in that area because they couldn't go any further. So they sat for seven days in that area over Yaakovinu, but nobody else. That's that. But the brothers and Yosef went further. So that Meshachachma, I guess, counts as like the answer before. Then Itziv also says they purposely stopped and allowed the Egyptians to mourn there to show their Chiyuv to mourn for such a great man. They had no requirement to go any further, so he didn't allow them to go any further. Regardless, that's the idea. Yosef and the Shvatim stopped there, showed them what to do, waited for them, right, and then went ahead, and that was that. Now, the Alshech, the Malbim, and I later found this in the Imre Shefer of Shlomo Kluger, they all said the Egyptians themselves only realized what they lost, right, once they got to Eretz Canaan. Meaning, they entered the land of Canaan, and they said, you know, it's kind of crazy, but remember how the famine stopped when Yaakov came to our land? Do you remember how the river, the Nile River, overflowed when Yaakov first came down? You know what's crazy? I don't remember anyone dying at the hands of crocodiles over the last 17 years. You know what? I don't even remember anybody getting the flu for the last 17 years. Another guy is like, I haven't had a toothache for 17 years. Only at that point when Yaakov was gone and entered Eretz Canaan and no longer was in the category of an Egyptian land... All of a sudden they realized, we just lost the body of a tzaddik. The body of a tzaddik, even when he's not, not alive, saves towns, saves people. It allows them to have a Yeshua. You could go to him, you could go to the grave, and you can ask for mercy. And trust me, the Egyptians were into the dead. They knew what it was like to talk to the dead, especially when it came to a big tzaddik. They said, we don't have that anymore. So when they got to Eretz Kanan, they finally came to Eretz Kanan, they looked at him, they said, oh my gosh, he's not available anymore. He's no longer there for us. That's when they sat down and they mourned. The Alshich, the Malbim, and the Imre Shepherd all said the same. And that's what the Kananim said in the next passage. Avel Kaved Zel Mitzrayim. Oh my gosh, the Mitzrayim are taking this really hard. The Shvatim are sad. The Mitzrayim are, are bawling. They're bawling. They couldn't understand it. Why are the Egyptians crying harder than the sons? What is going on here? And the answer is because the Egyptians finally realized what it was that they had the entire time. They had something so great, so great, and they didn't realize it until this point. Isn't that an unbelievable answer? I'm going to go on a little bit about that in a minute or two, but that's the idea behind it. 
The Oznayim Torah, I know I'm skipping a little bit. The Oznayim Torah says, it's possible they were mourning the famine. When Yaakovinu came, the two years of the famine right, were finished, and then the next five years were pushed off. The five years didn't happen. Only when Yaakov died did the five years of famine come back. Says the Oznayim Torah, yes, after Yaakovinu died, they, they saw the famine come back and they were like, oh my gosh, it was Yaakov who took it away. We didn't realize, we thought it was anybody. We thought it was just, I don't know, Yosef was a great man and we had everything, that's that. But no, Yaakov Avinu caused the famine to go away and now it's back. He says, the Raya, Gorinatad. Remember how he said the whole time, who makes a granary for thorns? Well, you would if you have nothing else to eat. If thorny bushes with little berries on them, remember I said it was that lysium type of whatever it is, the little tiny black berries, you wouldn't normally eat those because that's kind of disgusting. It was like those little red berries that you see on those bushes in the street and you're like, don't eat those, right? You tell kids not to eat them because you're not really so sure. Like you kind of think that somebody will turn into a gnome if you eat them. This is the same thing with these little black berries that came from here. You wouldn't make a goren out of them. When they saw that there was a goren hotad, that they made a granary out of these atadim, they were like, oh my gosh, the famine came back. If the famine came back, it was all because of Yaakov. And that's why they sat and mourned. That's the Aznayim Torah. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. There is a shach, right, that everybody held themselves back from fighting. There's a chsam sofer over here in the chsam sofer itself that they were upset. They realized that there were nations in the future. Okay, etc. There's a lot over here. But there's another strong question brought by the Valitosos. The Valitosos say, didn't they already mourn Yaakov for 70 days? And now they're mourning them another seven days over here. That doesn't make any sense. You don't mourn somebody for 70 days and then do another seven days when you're your way. And again, before the burial. Something's wrong with this. What exactly is it? Why would they do it? So here's what the Balitosas say. When they arrived at the borders of Eretz Yisrael, by Gorinata, this is a Baltosos. This is not just a, an Akron. I mean, this is a, a Medrash the Balitosas bring down. The Aron refused to move. Yaakov Avinu's Aron refused to move. No matter what they did, they couldn't move it. They couldn't get it to go. So people were trying to pick it up. And remember, the Shvatim were super strong. But nothing was going. The Shvatim thought maybe they didn't treat their father with enough respect. Maybe the Avelus they showed him in Mitzrayim was not enough. They mourned 70 days, right? 40 days of embalming and 30 days of Avelus, etc. But maybe that's not enough. So they sat another seven days thinking that he deserved it. Thinking that's what it was. In the end they realized it was something different, that they had gone against their father's wishes. Their father had said that he wanted them to carry him, not the Egyptians. So while they were still in Egypt, he allowed Egypt to be involved in the burial by carrying the coffin. When they got to the edge of Eretz Yisrael, the Aron stopped. And after 77 days, they figured out it's only they that could carry their father, not the Egyptians. So they picked up the Aron themselves, only the Shvatim, and they brought him down to Mitzrayim. And that's where the Medrash comes, where you had three people on each side of the Aron of Yaakovinu to bring it down to Mitzrayim. And that's why the word Banov appears from this point on. Because from this point on, nobody carried Yaakovinu except the Shvatim themselves. Yes, Shalom. I'm sorry? But they might have, he might, they might have thought that that only applied when they actually got to Eretz Yisrael. As they're traveling and it's a long trip, maybe the Egyptians could help them. Maybe they could also carry a little bit. But yes, did it have to be all 12 of them the whole time carrying him the whole way from Mitzrayim to Eretz Canaan? That's what they might have thought. And once they hit Eretz Canaan, the answer is, it, yes, it has to be the 12 of them and that's that. That was the instruction. You're 100% right. Yeah. 100% in Eretz Canaan. 
in Eretz Canaan. And I know what you're saying from Rashi. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky says almost the exact same thing. It's nimzar, nimzar kisfayim. It seems like for the burial, that's what Yaakovina was referring to. As opposed to actually carrying him out. Because again, who embalmed him? Clearly the Egyptians touched him. Right? I, I don't think they did the full embalming. I have a sheer about that from years ago. I don't think they did the full embalming because you couldn't take out the limbs and, you know, replace them with spices and stuff. But they did something. So clearly the Egyptians were in charge of something. Right? So I, I think that's the idea behind it. It's a good question. So I'm not knocking out the question. I just think that's, that's the way to answer it over here. The shock says another idea overhand, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip that for right now. So again, do we learn the halachas of Avelis from Yosef at Tzadik or not? It's clear from the Gemara, like we said before, that we don't. And especially because this was before he was buried. The Rabbeinu Yoel brings down the Rambam in the beginning of Hilchus Avelis, says clearly, we do not. The day of death and the day of burial is from the Torah. That's what he says. It's Medioraisa. The day of death and the day of burial, it's Medioraisa. They become an Ovo on that day. But the other seven days, he says, is not from the Torah. It's not Medioraisa. That's how the Rambam puts it. If we're learning from here, then all seven days would be Medioraisa, right? It would be from the Torah itself. It's clear since seven days not available. So again, day of burial, day of death, that is Medioraisa, you're in Avil. But every other day after that, the six days after that, is not Deoraisa. When Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Torah, Nishad Shohalacha, that's how the Rambam puts it, and he knew what to do from that point on, and he told everyone, you have to sit seven days. But it was not from the Torah. It's not even considered on the level of Halacha Lemosha Misenai, which would also be the Torah. It's not even Dibre Sofrim from Amos. It's not really from the Torah itself. That's how the Rambam Paskins. And therefore, Shiva, the seven days that we have, is a Din Durabanan, not a Din Raisa. Again, it's not learned from Yosef, it's not learned from Amos, it's not Allah Lamoshvi Sinai, it's Nishad Shalacha. They figured out the Allah and they did it. Victor Miller says clearly, you see from here that just because something is written in the Torah, that does not mean that we Paskin that way. It's something that might have had a clear minog. It could have been that our halachos are based on things that they did before Matan Torah because our avos were great people and when they did something, it makes sense. But it does not mean it's an absolute halacha. And this is one of the practices. The decree of sitting seven days in mourning after somebody passes away is clearly based on what they did over here. But nonetheless, that is not a requirement. And that's the reason why we also don't learn from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, they mourned him for 30 days. For Aaron, they mourned him for 30 days. We clearly don't do that. We have the concept of Shloshim, right? And for Tzadik, we do a lot of things during the Shloshim. But not that idea. It's not the same over here. However... There's Yushalmi and Moed Cotton Gimel Hay and Pirkei Revelos Perik Yud Zion that do mention this Pasuk as the source of Avelus for seven days. When they ask, where is it? They do mention it there. Now the Yushalmi says at the end, the Yushalmi is very difficult. Sometimes it'll end off with a kasha and you won't even realize it's a kasha. It's difficult to understand what the Yushalmi is trying to say. But the Yushalmi says, you can't learn anything from before Matan Torah. It's a question whether that's a question on the, the, the sack that we learned from here and this is Akasha. Do we really learn mourning from Yosef Etzada, from Yosef mourning for Yaakov for seven days? Or is it just a basis of what we're trying it on and we're, we're basically going on that? That's what the Yushalmi deals with over there. Pickard Rebbe Lezer mentions nothing. It just says we learn it from Yosef, period. That's that. The Torah Tamima has, it's such a chiddish. It's an unbelievable chiddish. But this is the way Rabshin did everything. He says such a chiddish. He says he thinks there's a mistake over here. There's a mistake. Meaning, 
When the Gemara says, V'chi anu lemedim, it's the Yerushalmi. V'chi anu lemedim. Do we learn from something from before the Torah? Says the Torah to Mima, you know what it should say? Not V'chi. It should say, V'chain anu lemedim. And if you say, well, that's not the wording Yerushalmi, it's Vikan Anulamedim. We are learning it from, Yerushalmi is, says Torah Tamima, learning it from right here that we have the concept of Shiva. We are learning it from here. Even though the Yerushalmi sounds like it's asking a question at the end and saying, no, we don't. We don't learn from before Matan Torah. Says Torah Tamima, we are. And he brings Uriah. He says, there are many things that we learn from before Matan Torah. I'll give an example. Shiva Simeon Mishta after a wedding. Why do we have seven days of Birchas Chasanim of Sheva Brachos, etc. Where do we get that from? Where do we learn Sheva Brachos from? Everybody knows we learn it from Leah and Yaakov. Because they're Malay Shvozos, right? And that's that. We learn that from Yaakov. There's no Shiloh about that. There's absolutely no Shiloh. It might be a Dorabanan over a Deal Reisa. There's a Shiloh about that in and of itself, right? Like I said before, is it a Halakha Moshevisini Divri Sofran versus Deal Reisa? It's a possibility. But the Torah to me says that's for sure. I'll tell you another one. Twelve months is given to a besula to prepare herself for her wedding. Remember, they used to get married very, very young back then. They would give her 12 months to prepare for a wedding. Who do we learn that from? Rivka Yimenu. From where? Because Lavan and her mother went ahead and said, can you please give her some time before she gets married? How much time? Says Yomim, O Asor. A year, or at least 10 days. A year means they give a year for a besula. We learned that from Rivka Yimenu. That's from before Matan Torah. There's another one. When the lie for Shalom is from the end of the Parsha. The Shvatim lied Bishvil Shalom to say, Yaakov Avinu commanded before his death that you shouldn't do anything to us. They lied, says Rashi, Bishvil Shalom. You're allowed to lie for Darche Shalom. We learned that from before Matan Torah. We have that right of a year. I'm sorry? Also from Hashem, sorry, not from. So what? From Hashem emitting uh, Sarah Kalyam. Oh, 100%. That, that, that's a little bit different because that's not... I don't know if it's Darche Shalom or going the opposite way. It's a good call. He might have said Darche Shalom there. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. It might be that in itself. And 10 years. How do we know that if you're married to someone for 10 years in Eretz Yisrael and you haven't been Zoha to have a baby that you should divorce her or whatever, you're allowed to divorce her, etc. Where do we learn that from? Avram and Sarah. We learn it from them. This is such a strange thing. So says the Torah to me, we do learn things from before Mountain Torah. It's the reason why the Torah brings it down. So how could the Yushalmi say, do we learn anything from before Mountain Torah? The answer is, it does. It's not the chi, it's the chain. That's how you got to read it. What's up, Dave? So, first off, isn't Shemim Nesis before Mount Torah? Yeah, but that doesn't apply in the well, same way. It's not the same way, yeah. But 100%. The Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach are by definition the laws that we learn from different psukim from before Mount Torah. But it could be that Nitna Torah B'nishchad Shalacha. The Torah was given and that halacha was given. Then we knew the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach. Nothing. We don't know. What, you know if you can tell me a single law that they knew at Yashim Sheva Eber, I'd go with it. So what about all the halachas for like Shana Rishona? Oh, that's a good call, but that's after the Torah, because that's only in Parsh Kiseitze and Shoftim when it goes through what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but that's after Kiseitze. That's, that's after Mount Torah. Pre? No, for sure not. For sure not. That's for sure. We, uh, that's a straight out Pasuk. Right? The concept of Shonari Shonari. Hey, Shonari Shonari in of itself is for sure not Dil Reisha. I'm sorry? So, so the halachos that we have today, are they, are they, are they, are they, are they Which ones? Of what? In terms of like the first year after somebody died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
If anything. Minhagim. I would call him Minhagim. Yeah. So that's a question. Is when is you're, you're asking good? Like there were so many mitzvahs that they got. They got Shabbos before Mantor. They got Kibbutz of Aim before Mantor. They got Dinam in Mara. Right. They were able to get Paraduma possibly when they learned in Mara itself. On the fourth day of the fourth day of Sivan, they wrote down the entire Torah up until Parshas Yisro. That's in the inner Parshas Mishpatim that says that. They got all of that. You're right. There are obviously all of Korban Pasach Shchita. Rosh Chodesh, all of that was given beforehand. It's a good question. <laughs> Great answer. I think what it means after Matan Torah means the people that received the Torah at Har Sinai, right? So I think it starts from right there, but it's a good question, right? The first mitzvah in the Torah obviously wasn't on Har Sinai. It was Parshas Bo when there was still a mitzvah. That's very clear. But that, that, that's a question that I've had all together. I have a shear on it. I just don't like the shear. <laughs> I will just, I'll just tell you that. I, I just don't like it. All right, anyway, what is the nafkamina? It goes to a whole nafkamina about whether or not Shiva, we learned the Shiva from this Pasuk or from Amos, he goes into the whole thing, there's a toast in a Zara. Okay, it's not for right now, but that, that's all brought down by the Torah Tamima. It's a brilliant piece, absolutely brilliant, that Tosef is bracha together, they both say it together. There's a little bit more over here, guys. It says that the Medrash Rabbah says in Pasuk Yudalov that the Canaanim mourned Yaakovinu's death and were mosped him, even the horses, the donkeys, and the animals wept tears over him. Even the animals. So what do they do? Like, what does that happen? Yushami Sota says either they release their belts of the animals, they put their clothes off their shoulders, the non-Jews, right? Or they straighten themselves up in some fashion. I don't know what it was exactly, but the non-Jews mourned that Yaakovina was dead. But what about the animals over here? The Torah Tamima number 10 suggests that they put black clothing of mourning over the animals. And they do that today as well. I don't say today, but like in certain countries, when somebody passed away, the Queen of England passes away, the animals are in mourning. The animals themselves are wearing sackcloth or something else to be able to show that everybody's in mourning. In Yonah, in Paragimel, the, the, the people of Ninveh put sackcloth on the animals said there would be mourning from the animals themselves. That's also a kasha. So the farmers might dive them better, whatever. But either way, right, the concept exists that you put something on top of the animals themselves, so Hashem answers their tefillos. The Mi'amloes explains this is referring to people who act like animals. Not literally the animals, the horses and the donkeys were crying over Yaakovinu's death. It's the people who were like animals, like horses and donkeys. Those were the people who ended up suffering, you know, whatever. They felt it. Even though they normally don't feel anything, this they felt, this they cried over. Rav Schwab says the Pusik is clearly showing the effect that Yaakovino had on everybody that even the lowliest Egyptian that's equal to a horse and a donkey still they understood that they lost the tzaddik of that caliber. The Ayelah Sashaka, that's what I meant from before. They finally realized what they had lost after he was dead. The Ayelah Sashaka is just the same. The whole world was created for an Adam Shalom. He was an Adam Shalom and everybody mourned him. That's based on a brachos. Come on, brachos, vavim, abeis. The Tam Dedas, Rav Schoenbach says that the point of a hespid is to cause people to cry. And we learned that from here, he says. Shokanoch Yoridea Simon Shin Dalid Mem. It's Shin Mem Dalid, but you don't say Shmad. So Shin Dalid Mem, Sif Aleph, which says that we force people to give a spade for great Gedolim, even if the Gedolim say, I don't want a Hespid. You force them because there's something to cry. There is something that's important to do. And in fact, Rabchaim Brisker, when he heard that people were going to be Maspid, the Maral Diskin, who was the Rav of Brisk before Rechaim Brisker came along, when the Maral Diskin who moved to Eretz when the, he heard that people were going to be Maspid, he told the Maspidim to come to his house and speak to him first. He wanted to hear what they would say to see if it was a drusha or if it was to mamish make people cry. He said, the point of a hespid is to make people cry, not to show your prowess in Torah. That's the point of a hespid. So say something that's amazing, that'll make people understand what they lost. That's what you're supposed to do. So he actually said that there's an actual din in this. Says Rosh that's the idea over here. So what did they mourn? 
Again, the Al Gruveni already brought up. We brought this idea up before. They mourn the fact that the famine might come back, that the Nile River, the re- recognition of what they lost, right? That's that. But the Tzoromor says the wise men of Egypt and the astrologers saw something here that they had no idea had happened before. The astrologers looked up in the sky and they knew something terrible was going to happen in the future because of Yaakov's children. And they knew that that's one of the reasons why Yaakov didn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim. Remember, he said, I don't want to be buried in Mitzrayim for three reasons. Number one, Gilgal Mechilos, right? That he'll have to roll to Eretz Yisrael by Tchias Mason. He didn't want that. Fine. Number two, does anybody remember? He didn't want the Egyptians to worship him, treat him as a god, right? As a little god. And number three, because of Kenim. He didn't want the lights to affect him. Already there's a Shiloh. Did Kenim affect the Jews? Why would it affect Yaakov Inu's dead body? Right? Why would that affect him at all? Okay, there's an Ibn Ezra on that. There's a Ritzvah that speaks about this. But regardless, that was the third reason. The astrologers saw in the stars something horrible was going ca- to happen in the Mitzrayim, but they couldn't figure out what it was. The same way they were confused about who the leader was going to be, an Egyptian, a Jew, and it was Moshe, I mean, who grew up with the Egyptians, but was a Jew. They were confused about what it was, and they knew it would happen because of Yaakov Avinu, but they couldn't figure out why. And that's what the word Yad refers to over here. Yine Yad Hashem Hoya B'miknechot, Makazdever. And that's why they called it Evo Mitzrayim says it's Torah more they looked at it and they said I see mourning for Mitzrayim Yaakov in whose death is a portend or a portender is a portend uh, portends what's going to happen in the future to all of these all of our people so they called it Evo Mitzrayim referring to themselves the Canaanim themselves saw it and that's why the Canaanim were mourning they also saw it they said Evo Kavitzel Mitzrayim this should stay in Egypt the Jews should have nothing to do with this but they themselves looked up in the skies and they saw the children of Yaakov will eventually destroy us. They were right. They were right. It wouldn't be for their children. It wouldn't be for their children's children. But their great, great, great grandchildren would be in Eretz Canaan when the Jews came in and wiped them all out. They saw it. They saw it. They just didn't know what they saw. There's a Malbim over here. There's an Imre Shef over here as well. It's amazing stuff over here. The Chizkuni gives the only answer that I thought that was classic. Remember how we said it was Aver Yarding? Sichon and Og were huge giants that lived on the other side of the Jordan River. They were the ones who were watching the morning, and they could, because they're huge. They were watching everything happen, and they're like, there's lots going on in Avera Yardane. It was Avera Yardane for them, which is in Eretz Yisrael. It didn't mean right by the Jordan River. It meant on the Avera Yardane, the other side of the Jordan River, which is actually in the middle of Eretz Yisrael by Maros Machpela. They were watching it from their vantage point on their huge chairs. You know, they probably sat in rocking chairs. Right? Looking over, and they're like, look over there. Look what's going on over there. Oh, yeah. oh, only. Yeah, and he's standing on a mountain, okay? He's standing on a mountain. Only a thousand almost tall, and he was standing on a mountain, and he couldn't see Mars Ma- You could see Mars Ma- So that's the idea behind it. That's that, guys. Obviously, there's a lot more over here. You can see what it means by Avol Kavid Zelim. It's Rhyme, and Abar Ben El, Victor Miller, Miamloiz, and the Al Sheikh, the Beis Yeshaya, the Al Sheikh again, the Shach, the Ksav Sofer, the Sheris Menachem, and I have a Malvin Meshachachma that is said above. All that is for Avol Kavid Zelim. It's Rhyme. What I'm going to end with is this. There's an unbelievable Miamloiz that says every Egyptian who attended Yaakovinu's funeral was rewarded that they did not become sick, they didn't die that year, and they didn't get any surin for one whole year. Nothing for a whole year. Remember how they said before, oh my gosh, I haven't even had a toothache for the last 17 years. They continued that trend because of Yaakov, because they mourned Yaakov 
for one whole year. It is thus, he says, the Miyamoy says, a very great thing to go to the funeral of a great man. You see a great tzaddik that passes away, it's a huge thing to go to that funeral. Pirkei Rebbe Lezer says they received another reward, that they were allowed to be buried after being drowned in the Amsuf. Because they buried Yaakov Avinu, they were rewarded to be buried after the Amsuf. That they were spat out by the sea and not eaten by the fish, and B'nai Yisrael buried them afterward, and that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah, so even that, Mitzrayim mourned Yaakov. So Mitzrayim all gets to be buried. Yeah, that's the idea. Even so, they were all spat out afterward. That's part of the 50 miracles of Kriyas Yamsuf. One of them is that even those that drowned like a stone and came down, they drowned and they came out there. The craziest thing is, some say they didn't die. <laughs> they drowned, so they felt like they died. They went to a coma, whatever, like waterboarding. Yeah, and that's the idea behind it over there. There's a lot more over here, guys, but of course, this is, you know, the Sukkim are just amazing. All right, have a good job, guys. We'll stop right here.